Job 42, 7-17. Hear the word of the Lord to you. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer, and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again, and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuch. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died, old and full of years. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inert word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. There's a gentleman named Henry Augustus Rowland. He was a professor of physics at John Hopkins University. And one time he was called as an expert witness at a trial. During a cross-examination, a lawyer demanded, what are your qualifications as an expert witness in this case? The normally modest and retiring professor replied, I am the greatest living expert on the subject under discussion. <laughs> Later, a friend who knew him really well and, and thought it was kind of odd for this humble man to say such a uh, seemingly prideful statement said to him, you know, why would you say that? And Roland answered, well, what did you expect me to do? I was under oath. But that humorous story is really what Job was saying all along. All along, his friends kept saying that the reason he's suffering is because God is angry with him. And all along, Job is saying, that's not true. I didn't do any great wickedness to deserve what I'm deserving right now. So find, you know, change your tune, man. Come up with something different. Come up with something fresh. In denying his friends false accusations, Job was simply being honest. Now listen, you have to remember this, and it's probably the last time I will have to remind you of this, um, but at the beginning of the book, what does God say about Job? 
Have you considered my servant Job? I, there, I have no one like him on all the earth. <laughs> Job was unique. He was uniquely a righteous man. Still a sinner saved by grace, but compared to all the rest of people in his day, head and shoulders. He walked with God. He was a man of wisdom. He feared God, really feared God, and shunned evil. There was no one else like him in his day. As a matter of fact, he makes the hall of faith. There's only like two or three others. Maybe there's two others that are listed with Job. I think one's Daniel and one's Noah. Noah was special in his day as well by the grace of God. We saw last week that Job was vindicated on this point. God came out and said, he said, I am angry with you. He said to Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, and your friends, because what? You have not spoken correctly about me as who? My servant Job has. Last week we did a whole sermon on that. Vindicated. Now what's interesting is, we mentioned it last time, but I, I got to bring it up now. We see that God was angry at somebody, but he wasn't angry at Job. He was a actually angry at the three friends. And you have to ask yourself, as you're looking at this text, why was God angry at them? And here's the thing. It says in the text, because they have not spoken of God what is right. Now here's the interesting thing. They did say a lot of good and right things. If you look at their speeches, they talked about the justice of God. They talked about the goodness of God. They talked about the power of God. So much so that Paul, when he's talking about how how God uh, thwarts the wisdom of the wise, right, and catches the wise in their deceitfulness. Paul quotes one of Job's friends in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3.18. So then the question remains, so in what sense then have they not spoken rightly about God? And this is the million-dollar question of the book. And here's the answer. They wrongly applied God's judgment against evil schemers to the particular case of Job. In other words, they took a truth and they wrongly applied it. But they didn't just make a little mistake here. They did something heinous, and I'll tell you why. Um, I don't often look to Matthew Henry. Um, he was a commentator, I guess, in the 1700s. A little outdated in his language, but I'll tell you, he hits the nail on the head on this one. He says, Job's friends had wronged God, now listen, by making prosperity a mark of the true church and affliction a certain proof of God's wrath. I, I don't enjoy criticizing my brothers and sisters. I don't enjoy criticizing other churches, but I'll tell you, if you are in a church or, or you know of a church that preaches this health and wealth gospel, I tell you, it's from the pit of hell. And it does damage. It makes real, God-fearing people feel guilt when they shouldn't. And sometimes it makes people who should feel guilt and do have the anger, anger of God hanging over them feel like they're doing great because they're blessed. Well, I'm blessed. Bling, bling. You clap at that. See, the issue is, and I think if there's anything, there's so many lessons in Job, and I'm so glad that this book has been my best friend for the last number of months. 
But one of the things that's really taught me is that life is just not that simplistic. Life is just not that simple. Oh, somebody's suffering, God's mad at them. That means they're wicked. Oh, somebody's prospering, God loves them. Everything's going great. Wouldn't that be good if we could just see that? That's how we know who's walking, who isn't? The problem is that's not the way it is in this life, on this side of glory. Certainly there are times, I want to make this clear, every time, because we have new people coming each Sunday. Certainly the Bible teaches there are times God will bring hardship in our lives so that we will identify something that's not pleasing to him, right? Uh, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I take heed according to your word. Sure, it's there, but there's a plethora. In other words, tons of other reasons it could be why you're experiencing suffering and hardship. See, here's the issue. When we fail to realize this, and we wrongly identify why someone's suffering, and we wrongly identify that God is angry at them and disciplining them, this, this is what we don't realize. It can lead others to ostracize them, cluck their tongue at them, and say, oh, we've got to stay away from that guy's tent. He's not blessed. He must be doing something wrong. I'm not inviting him over for Sunday dinner. He's cursed. And now what do you do? Now you just add insult to injury. Now the person who needed your compassion, the person who needed some love, the person who needed tender care gets pushed out. You know, everybody's welcome in this church? Not really. We saw last week Job was vindicated. And we pick up in verse 8 of chapter 42 this week where God tells Eliphaz and his friends that he needs to go to Job (laughs) the irony with sacrificial offerings in hand so that they could offer up a sacrifice and have Job pray for them (laughs) love that irony and God says I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly ouch you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now we see, my, how the tables have turned. One commentator, David Klein, says this, it's an almost comic reversal of roles when punishment for the friend's folly is only turned aside by the prayer of the righteous and still suffering Job. Those who had felt so superior to Job are the ones who stand in need of forgiveness themselves. And Job is not only vindicated before them, and I love this, but becomes their champion. (laughs) Their only hope is the guy they were heaping all the abuse on. Oops. Talk about backing the wrong horse. I'll never forget, there's a silly movie, I think it was called Lionheart, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Remember that? I I just love those cards. But it was really good. So... He was street fighting to help his sister-in-law. Was, you know, he always has these real sappy heart stories. I, I'm always drawn to those things. You heard the one I did last week. But anyway, so at the end, he's fighting like this tough guy that everybody's, it was a setup. They knew like there's no way he should win. And the guy is beating the snot out of him. Another story about a fight like I did last time. And he's on the ground and, the, and his own manager grabs him and goes, stay down, man. Stay down. And he goes, Tell me, who'd you bet on? And he goes, man, I bet on the other guy. And I'll never forget, John claude Van Damme says to him, wrong bet. <laughs> and he gets up and he whoops his butt. Yes. 
That's what these guys really, they had the wrong bet. This is what we're going to see this week. I already preached the first point. See, I tricked you. I already preached the first, first point last week. We're only going to see the rest of it. So we're going to see the intercession. But last time we saw the vindication of Job. This time we're going to see the intercession of Job and the exaltation of Job. Just in that order. So now let's take a look right where we're at, the intercession of Job. One more time, I want to read verses 7 and 8. And just make a couple points from it. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. Here's the interesting thing. First of all, I want you to see this is a huge sacrifice they're bringing. Seven and seven animals. This is a huge offense. God is not happy with them. What they have done is a serious offense against God. And I want you to see they have to bring these offerings. They have to offer blood sacrifice. Why? So that God will not deal with them how? According to their folly. You with me? But instead, if God doesn't deal with you according to your folly, guess how he deals with you? According to what? His grace and his mercy. Isn't that interesting? Surprise, surprise, Job's vindication becomes his friend's justification. You know, just as if I never sinned. Lo and behold, the bad guys in the story. <laughs> They get justified. Because here's the issue. The one they heaped abuse on, the one they despised, the one who they said basically as it were, if you're God's man, then why is he allowing you to suffer like a criminal? That one had to offer up the sacrificial animals and intercede on their behalf to God so that God wouldn't hold their sin against them. Sound familiar? Who's that remind you of? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You remember what they said to him, if you're the son of God, get yourself off that cross. And yet he turns, and while he's on the cross with his arms stretched out, Father, our high priest says, forgive them. And that's why you have in this, this picture, look, see, that we have a picture on the wall for those who are listening of Job with his hands outraised, raised up, praying for his friends, interceding. So what's really interesting to me, and I don't want you to miss this, so all the way back in the time of Abraham, that's when scholars believe, and I believe as well, that that's when Job lived. It's the oldest book in the Bible that's written. Way before Moses, we find God here requiring what? Listen, it should be interesting to you. God's requiring blood sacrifice before the law course we know go all the way back to Abel and God accepted his sacrifice because it was blood offering remember and Cain tried to offer vegetables and it's like no this isn't V8 this isn't you know this is not the way it's going to work it's blood sacrifice Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood there's what no forgiveness of sins and so here we find 
an early priest. Job is in his sickness because he wasn't restored yet. He finds himself being a priest. This is why I would, I would entitle this sermon, The Gospel According to Job. Because it really is the gospel according to Job. Because Job was a type of Christ, just like David was a type of Christ in his day. A foreshadowing, looking ahead to the ultimate one, who would be the suffering servant that Isaiah talks about, the suffering servant. Isaiah 53. A man of suffering, familiar with sorrow. Remember him? Here I think I'm going to say something that might strike you. I know it struck me. Whenever you read the Bible, when you read Bible stories, and, and, and hey, I do it myself. I look in the text and I automatically think, oh, I feel like Job. Who do I associate with? Job, right? When David and Goliath, who do I associate with? Well, I don't want to associate with Goliath. I'm David, right? But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. We're not Job in this story. You know who we are? The three friends. We're in need of the mercy and the grace of God. We're in need of God not dealing with us according to our folly. Can I get a witness now? See, think about it this way. Unlike Job, Jesus did experience the anger of God, didn't he? He did experience the wrath of God. He was the propitiation for your sins and for mine. He did give himself up as a sacrifice. And you know, here's the interesting thing about Jesus. He did not ever accuse God of, of being unjust. Rather, he suffered Silently, and when they hurled their insults at him, according to 1 Peter, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And here's the good news. You can come to that Jesus right here, right now, today. And you come on the same basis. Not on the basis of your own righteousness or your own works. Or even your intention someday to get things together. You come to him with all your messed upness, messed upness, with all your sin. Confess it, turn from it, repent of it. And rely on the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's the beauty. God does not deal with you. He does not deal with me according to our folly. And think about it. There's a whole lot of folly in our lives that need forgiveness. Because if you ain't a sinner, then you ain't alive. <laughs> I stole that from somebody. What an awesome gospel we have. We can come with all our sin as ugly and as shameful as it is. We could be truly forgiven. We can have God's wrath turned away from us, placed on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. This is a real thing. But what I want you to see here is we do a lot of amen in there, I hope. 
But there's a secondary application in this passage for those of us who have come to Christ for forgiveness and do, and do know him, and that's this. Listen, this is powerful. Notice what Job does. In praying for those who mistreated him and interceding on their behalf before God, notice what he does. He forgives those who sinned against him. We're going back to what we saw earlier in the, in the um, service, aren't we? Forgive us our debts as what? We have forgiven those are our debtors. So I want you to drink this in from me. This is where it got good for me. Job doesn't go, ha ha, vindication, baby, in your face. I told you. I'm telling you, in my flesh, that's what I wanted. I want to be dancing around those three friends. Woohoo! Months and months of this nonsense. Who the man now? But you know what? He doesn't do that. No. Which is interesting. I want to share this with you really quick. Suffering shows what's already in there. In other words, he was already a righteous man. Because look at his response. Right? No, instead Job intercedes for them. For them. And he does what God calls all of his redeemed people to do throughout both Old and New Testaments. He calls us to bless those who curse us, pray for those who abuse us, forgive each other's sins as the Lord forgave us. Now, I've preached this myself, and it is true, but David Helm pointed something out about this. You ever hear a folk say, and I say it myself, and there is truth in it, you know, when you forgive others, you set yourself free, you know? And you get rid of all that bitterness. And that, amen, as my buddy Barry Henning would have said, amen to that. But you know something's coming when he does that. But you know what? There's something more powerful here that's going on. David Helm pointed this out to me. He says, he says this, we are a, when we are able to let go of the bitterness and, and forgive people, the real special blessing of forgiving those who sin against us is being a conduit, being a vessel of God's blessing and free grace to others. In other words, what if you really know God, what a blessing to know that you're, you're an instrument in God's hand to bring the grace and mercy and freedom and forgiveness and deliverance to others. You follow me? Job was the vessel through which God blessed his friends because Job what? Forgave. His friends got a taste of that forgiveness. I find that really interesting, but what I want you to see here is even when you look at the exaltation of Job, I want you to see something in verse 11. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now listen, you might read that and go, oh, that's nice, because you might forget something about his friends and relatives. His friends and relatives were fair-weather friends. You know what they are? Around when things are, are good. When you're riding the crest, man, they want to grab on. But when you're crashing, where'd they go? You find yourself face down in the sand and nobody's around. That's a fair-weather friend, right? Job 19, this is what Job writes. I want you to get the punch of this. 
He has alienated my brothers from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. My guests and my maidservants count me a stranger. They look upon me as an alien. I summon my servant, but he doesn't answer. Though I beg him with my own mouth, my breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped with only the skin of my teeth. You need to get the impact of these are the people that came and said, Yay, Joe's been delivered. Brought him silver. I don't know about you, but I would have been tempted to tell him to hit the bricks. Right? The flesh says, where were you? Now all of a sudden you're around. Surprise, surprise. I remember my grandmother once said to someone who came to her house to try to take advantage of her kindness. And she said to him, how'd you get up here? And he goes, what are you talking about? She goes, how'd you get up here? She goes, by the stairs. And he goes, she goes, then take those stairs and leave right now. Go out the same way you came. That's what I, I would have felt like, something like that with Job. How'd you get in here? Go out the same way, thanks. Let the door hit you. But Job humbly receives them back into his life. He accepts their consolation. He doesn't utter a word about their mistreatment. Because here's the beautiful thing. When, when you let bitterness take over, when you give into resentment, when you cultivate an unforgiving spirit, it poisons who? It poisons you. As well as those around you. It accomplishes the opposite of God's gracious, redemptive purposes in Christ. Listen, I want you to see something else because I don't want this to be misapplied. Remember now, Job, when God says, take these offerings and go to my servant Job, what does the text say? The friends what? They did as the Lord told them. It's another way of saying they were repentant. They, they, I mean, you know how humbling that would be after all those months to go up to Job and go, hey, buddy. <laughs> Here you go. Hey, thanks a lot. Bow my head now. They're repentant. And here's interesting. It says everybody that knew him was at his table. So guess what? Those three friends were there too. Forgiven. Restored. For those who think, and we'll go to the exaltation of Job. It's really just a couple moments here as we finish up. For those who think God was cruel to allow Job to suffer so much to prove his genuine faith and God's glorious power to save, let them consider the end that's in store for righteous sufferers, for those who suffer according to God's will and who commit themselves to their faithful creator and do good. Job got double back. And people say, but wait a minute, he, only, he got double of everything else, but he still only had uh, seven sons and three daughters. So he didn't get double the kids. I beg to differ. He didn't lose those other seven and those other three. Where are they? In heaven waiting for him. So he still got double, didn't he? The old hymn puts it this way. Be still my soul. Thy Jesus can repay. From his own fullness. All 
he takes away. As I close, I want you to see as that God exalted his servant and that there is ultimate truth, that there will be a day when the wicked will get what's coming to them. Won't always see it in this life, but that day is coming. And there will be a day that even suffering, poor saints on earth who, who ha have just a mess of it down here, someday they will be exalted. Someday when Jesus comes back. In the Old Testament, it was about land. It was about physical blessings. But it all pointed ahead to the real paradise. The one where there's no sin, no suffering, no struggle. As Paul tells us in Romans, we consider our present sufferings are what? Nothing to be compared with what? The glory that will be revealed. Job is one guy that's going to have a crowd around him. Love to hear his story about God's faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your strengthening, encouraging, fortifying word given to us through the book of Job. We thank you for our, the number of months we had to spend time in it. And we pray that more and more we would truly take the lessons to heart about who you are, about your glory, about your great wisdom and power and plan that we simply can't fathom. And also the fact that no matter what goes on here, we know you love us and you have a plan. God, help us who have come to you through Jesus' death and resurrection to forgive just as our brother Job did all those who wronged him um, that we all one day all true saints would be together feasting at your table having forgiven one another we pray it in Jesus name Amen <laughs>